This is Jerry DiPiano from FemPharma Consumer Healthcare, and you are listening to, or possibly viewing and listening to, the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, my guest, who is a frequent guest on the Love Mia Vita podcast, is Dr. Juliana Hauser. Dr. Hauser, Juliana, welcome once again to our podcast. And for those of you that haven't had the pleasure of watching or listening uh, to our podcast with Dr. Juliana. Let me share a little bit of information about her. Dr. Hauser leads conversations about relationships, agency, sexuality, intimacy, and a lot more. She's a professional, but she makes it a lot of fun. We hope that you'll enjoy this podcast. Dr. Hauser studied and received her PhD in counseling education from the College of William and Mary, and she is considered a thought leader and a sexpert, I put the S in front of expert, who dives deep into the hard to have conversations that all of us need to be having. She has spent decades counseling and supporting thousands of individuals and partners on their paths to discover their sexual agency, relationship intimacy, and importantly, fulfilling sexual connections. Now, the jewel of Dr. Hauser's offering is the Revealed Course, and you can learn more about that by visiting her website, dr-juliana.com, dr-juliana.com. So I encourage you following this to check it out. See if there's something there that inspires you to want to make that connection with Dr. Juliana. So thank you once again for for joining us on the Love Me Avita podcast. And today we're going to talk about a, a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I'm in the age group cohort and it's how to spice up sexual connection through menopause. Great. I'm so happy to be here and I love this topic. Well, it's an important topic for all of us because let's face it, we know relationships throughout our lives will ebb and flow. They change, partners change, maybe they don't change, but we ch we evolve and we evolve for physical and psychological reasons. And there's, a, there's an opportunity here. And I, I do believe it's an opportunity for rediscovery because let's face it, what, what you enjoyed at one point during your life, maybe in your teens, if you were experimenting with sex, into your 20s and 30s may be different than what you want to experience or need to experience as we approach perimenopause, menopause. And it, it, it's irrelevant whether it is in a same-sex relationship or whether it is in a, in a um, heterosexual relationship. We all go through menopause differently. If you're with a woman, uh, you and your partner may experience things differently when you enter menopause. If you're in a heterosexual relationship, you may be with a partner, a male partner, who is going through andropause or who is experiencing some sort of disease or disorder that may change the way in which he can respond sexually or engage sexually. So I think these are really important topics. Um, and I know you you would like to focus um, on some key elements as you think about spicing up your connection. So share with us some of those thoughts. 
So I'm always when when I when I talk about like how to reconnect sexually, I know that oftentimes it starts with like some really spicy things to begin with. But I I, I have to always step it back and say, just hear me out and 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 pay attention to this part because this is the foundation, and then you can put the spicy stuff on top of it. And and the reason why it's so important to start with with communication with creating safety is because sex is a topic that we are not taught how to talk about. And we aren't given a lot of space to practice it. We aren't given a lot of room to have agency in it. So it is even even the best of relationships can have a very tricky um, navigation within a topic in general. And that's when things are going well. Whenever there's anything that there's a difference between two people, their needs or their wants, or if there's been a big change in the relationship uh, through aging menopause or, or, or any, anything else, you add sex conversation on top of that and it's even harder. So you're not going to get the result that you're wanting to have by a tip if you don't have the communication and safety in place in order to have that. So that's where I start there. And uh, and the first thing I always talk about is safety. And then also the hurdle that I often will feel is, well, I am safe. Like we feel safe. And I don't mean physically, that's obviously like the baseline of things. But I'm really talking about the what, the relationship and each individual in the relationship needs in order to feel safe enough to be emotional, emotionally vulnerable, to really show up and, and self-reflect to that responsibility of going to the conversation, really knowing yourself and, and being willing to be authentic about that and being somebody that your person can be authentic towards, which oftentimes people will say, yes, like in a self-review, I am safe. And then when we dive into it, it's like, well, but tone and and even the smallest of reactions, even silence sometimes can make your partner feel unsafe um, and not wanting to like open up uh, in the future. So uh, really spending time and becoming uh, a co-creator of an atmosphere of safety for emotional vulnerability is the number one aphrodisiac, I think and the number one um, foundational aspect in order to start spicing up and changing your, your sex life. What happens if your partner's not much of a communicator? Because let's face it, um, there are relationships where one partner really needs that communication. You mentioned the safety and communication is a big part of feeling safe because you need to have that exchange and you need to be very transparent and vulnerable. Um, I. I think about the analogy, I'm a dog person, as as you know, and I think about the analogy of when your dog flips over on his or her, her back and you can scratch their belly and their paws are out and they have that little smile, the tongue is hanging out. I think, okay, well, that's kind of, it's at your most vulnerable, right? You're so exposed, right? And when you, you know, when you give of yourself sexually, you're very exposed and you need to have a partner who is willing to honor that, to show grace, right? So if you don't have a partner that communicates, I mean, what do you suggest? I think the first thing I would do is to say, um, doesn't communicate with the same style. It's probably the first place I would begin uh, because most people communicate in some way. It may just not be in a way that meets your needs uh, or ideal. 
Um, I, I have worked with with some, and I'll 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 be gendered in this in this answer, uh, but it's not always across the board uh, male identified folks, but it often is. And they'll start off like I'm just not much of a talker, talker, Doctor J. But by the end of our work together, they're talking three times as much as the other person because I have found that in general, men have really not been given a lot of space to talk about sexuality. So I'd say let's talk about communication style and then let's not give up hope that once they're given a chance to, quote, say things the wrong way or to risk take and not be shut down on things. Um, I, I have found that people who may be self-described as not a communicator can become it if they want to. My, my caveat to that is, especially in staying gendered is, it's not the female or the, the person's responsibility who isn't a who is the communicator to do all the work for the other person. And I, I feel particularly protective of that as well. So what I would say is, do you want to have a better sex life or a sexual connection with your partner? Uh, it's typically yes. And if the answer is yes, then then we need you to step up in your communication. And that's there's just really no way around it. We'll give you room. You get to communicate in a way that feels right for you. Some of it may be nonverbal, like what you're saying with dogs. There may be a way that they that someone who doesn't verbally communicate does it in a nonverbal way that is just as supportive. Holding hands, holding gaze, nodding your head. All of those are nonverbal, but highly communicative. So is sitting there stoically rolling your eyes or um, being really just distracted in it. That's, that is very communicative, even if though you're not saying a whole lot of words. Then the next thing that, that I like to kind of look at too is, um, you know, what, what hasn't felt safe in ways that you communicated? I've had people that they just, they just needed to uh, be messy with with the trials of of speaking about sex and once and if their partner can hold space for that the clunkiness of the beginning of it then they are more open to doing it um it it's um it's just rare for somebody to not find find their way to communication um i some people do it through writing uh that they they can't say it so they'll write it um, I've had some, uh, I've actually, I've got, I think of two couples right now and they just use humor as a way to do it. Uh, like what, uh, one of them made like flashcards and they would just choose it. And then that would not become, you know, became like kind of ridiculous. And then they were able to start talking. Another thing that I found is that when people have a mis mismatch of communication is if one of the, uh, one person in the couple is a fast processor and can I like, just speak off the cuff, can, can tell their opinion, can self-reflect, can be agile to changes in it. And the other person needs time to process and needs time to think through things and gets kind of stunned into silence. Then you just do a different way. Like you, you, I, I will recommend like send a text message with what you're going to be talking about, about sex and give them a day to like have their thoughts about it or you know, have it, have the conversation here are the three points and then let's reconvene in a couple hours, like give people different processing time to communicate. Uh, and that can make a very big difference in um, those who won't communicate. Well, those are really important tips. And I believe that what you said about the communication styles is very important. And we ought to be paying attention to those nonverbal cues because they can elucidate a lot for us. And then once once we have that communication going, it's it's also something that you recommend, um, and you've done this in, in your writing uh, for your blog post with us, 
And that is to really understand who you are sexually. And I believe that is a key to also facilitating that communication. Because if you don't know what your wants and needs are, it's really difficult for your partner to read your mind, right? So yeah, you can use a nonverbal cue. Maybe you point, maybe you you know make sounds, but maybe you don't make sounds, but maybe you just roll over on your belly and you know put the paws up, so to speak. But that um, that understanding is key, and especially as we start to mature in age. So you you know in your twenties and thirties, maybe you could have sex four or five times a day. It felt good. And you could have penetrative intercourse and it was not a big deal. And you didn't need to use a lubricant or any of those, you know, any tools, so to speak. Now you're in your 40s, maybe you're in your 50s or 60s or older and things have changed. Mm -hmm. So you better know what makes you feel good and what what doesn't make you feel good. And you be, and need, you need to have that transparent conversation, I would, I would imagine. Yes. And, and, you know, and I, and I want to have lots of compassion for that process because for, for some people on their journey, they don't ever know that it is, it just has never, sexuality has never felt like there's an easy access to it. So it can feel really scary to not know when there's so much pressure to know. And so if, if someone falls in that category, it's like, well, yeah, let's grieve that. And also let's start finding out and let's see this as an, okay, so we have a, we, we get to discover these parts of you and it's never too late. Uh, and that, that attitude of curiosity and like feeling like you're like a pioneer of finding out what your pleasure points are and, and what you like and don't like also extends to when changes have happened through menopause or, or anything else physically in your body and, or in the relationship. So I, I, I think it, it begins with a self-exploration. It's, it's really an important piece to have that. It's, it's an important way to ground your agency, that you are in charge of your pleasure and responsible for your pleasure. And you are the best knower of what, what that means for you to experience. And you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know it all. In fact, I hope that you don't know it all so that you if you're partnered, you can, or if you choose to uh, to have sex acts with a partner, that you can choose to explore together what that what feels right. Because there are differences of what you do to your own body that a partner can't replicate or can't know exactly. Um, and, but you can know some things that can lead you towards that um, when you know it yourself first. Um, but I like to leave room for, I like this by myself. I like when you do this with me or to me. And I like when we try this together and let's just see. And, and that also has to, there also has to be an air of allowing for like mistakes or allowing for the nose to not destroy the process of exploring either by yourself or with somebody else. Um, you've heard me say this almost probably at nauseum now, <laughs> Jerry, that I like that, that, that we should, we should embrace the nose as much as we embrace the yeses and never look at this doesn't bring me pleasure. This is a yuck as a negative. It should feel very positive to know those things about yourself and about your partner in that it makes a very big difference to not feel shut down. If you try something and your partner's like, nope, that's a no, that doesn't feel good. Or I don't want that. We're like, okay, great. Thank you for letting me know. Instead of like, I'm terrible, or that was rude, or I don't know what to do now, or like, screw it. Let's just like, forget the whole thing. 
that isn't going to help build sexual connection, build self-awareness, um, or even build like the fun and spark that we're, we're looking for. So it sounds like find, discover what feels good for both of you. Do more of what feels good and don't worry about what doesn't and what doesn't feel comfortable, whether it's, it might feel good, but maybe it doesn't feel comfortable psychologically and that's okay too, right? So maybe that's, you know, that's the, the bottom line is just do more of what feels good and less of what sort of feels not so good. Right. And, and just go on an exploration. I, I had a, a, um, a really fun client that she, she hired me to help her figure out how to get, she wasn't partnered. Uh, and she's like, I want to know if I like these sex acts. I want to know about this. And she's like, I have no one to do it with. So how do I find someone to do it? I don't want a relationship. I want someone that's going to help me find my pleasure. And it was so much fun. I had never went at that point. I hadn't had anyone else hire me for something like that. And it was so delightful. And, and she found somebody and she was able to explore and find it out. So like she walked away feeling like I have more yeses than no's now. Like I feel informed by this instead of guessing. And you can do that with a partner as well and be reciprocal to what they're wanting to. And it's, it's if you're doing this with two people, it is what one person likes, what the second person likes and what the relationship likes. And, and then doesn't like and, and, and reverse. And you want to keep asking all three of those questions when it's two people. And when you've been through that process, it could be that you're in a totally new relationship, as you just described. This was a person that, that was not in a partnered relationship. So the, the discovery phase perhaps took a little bit longer because there was, and maybe it was easier because there was no history, right? So there's no history. So you're starting off from ground zero and, you know, that conversation is, you know, perhaps a little bit more interesting because the, there's curiosity. Well, what do you like? What do I like? How do I prefer to engage? What types of sexual practices feel good to me? Do I like toys? Not so much so um, in the car, <laughs> in the bathroom, in the bathtub, you know, where, you know, where, when, how. Um, all of that becomes part and parcel of that conversation once the relationship reaches that stage. And if you're in a, a monogamous relationship, long-term relationship, you still need to ask those same questions for the very reasons that we discussed previously, which is that lots changed. You know, maybe you're empty nesters now. Maybe you don't have the responsibilities that you once did. So you don't need to lock the bedroom door. You can basically have sex anywhere in the house or in the car, in the garage or in the swimming pool, if you like. <laughs> don't invite Watch your cameras. Don't invite your children. <laughs> yes, exactly. Turn those cameras off. That's for sure. Uh -huh. So then there are some, some cool things that you have, have suggested as to how we can, once you've been through, you've been through discovery, you did the communication. Now we, somebody said, make love work. I don't make, making love shouldn't be work. Making love should be pleasure. So how do we make love pleasure? Finding those wonderful ways to enjoy this, this relationship. Yeah, it's. And, and I think some of it's individual because like you're talking about like when it's history, when you have history and you've got a history of doing things differently, the entry point to that can be different. Um, and it can be, especially when, because like, I've, I've had this with a, a bunch of clients that are, that are in the menopause age range of like, 
she is really, especially in heterosexual relationships, she is like, I'm, I'm having a sexual awakening here. And I'm really running to try all these things while, while he may be like, like, you know, I'm toning down on things. I'm not so interested in being adventurous or I, my body isn't working the same way in this. And so you can have a mismatch of that. That I know you're talking about now we're moving into a different space of when you're both or, or wanting to try things, things new. But I, I wanted to honor just a bit of that, that space of sometimes that isn't the case. Sometimes that isn't. And, um, and everything has to be consensual, uh, when you're, when you're experimenting and trying new things. Um, and, and that goes for all genders and, and for all lengths of relationships. So that can feel tricky, but what I, what I think that the next thing is you're, as you're moving into the actual tips that, uh, that, that, um, can, you can try out is always speaking in the things, uh, in the, like, I'd like this. I want to try this with you. I uh, I'm interested in this. I don't know if I'm going to want to do it more than once, but like, can we try this and just see? Uh, and again, allowing it to be clunky can make a really big difference. Of again, we're not looking at coercing somebody into doing something they don't want to do, but with the assumption that everyone has agency and everyone can say yes and no to it all. Um, it's for those spaces of I want to say yes but I'm a little tired or I want to say yes, or I'm not sure this is going to work or I want to say yes, but that sounds crazy or it's different than I want. That's the space that I'm looking for of let's suspend perfection and let's dive into the part that isn't work, but is like, you know, sex is kind of weird. Anyway, it just is like the, when you really think about it, what you what you do, what your bodies are doing, the sounds, the liquids, all of that. It's a very interesting exchange. And so if you can get into that instead of keeping it so serious, that can help dispel this is work because disagreement and differences can be work. But getting into sexual connection, we hope we can navigate it with, with a little bit more fun, a little bit curiosity, and a, and a little bit more of like, I mean, who knows? If we don't like it, we don't like it with this. So then that's kind of my last caveat that I wanted to say until before we get to the tips. I'm curious if you had any favorite ones um, that you wanted me to go through. So so I I look I look at this and I said, you know what? Sometimes get just getting away from the mundane can be a great way to explore, right? So if you if you're accustomed to always having sex in your bedroom in the house where you raised your family and you know there are you know pictures of mom and dad on the wall your kids and maybe it feels a little inhibiting so i like the idea of breaking with the mundane maybe and you may not even need to leave your bedroom or your house maybe you just go somewhere else in the house you know yeah. maybe you're you know you go into the living room on the couch and Nobody's coming into the house. You pull the blinds down, turn those cameras off and go at it. So I like the idea of making that change. I think that's important, particularly if you want to try some of the other things that you describe on this bucket list, right? Yes. I did like that. I think you put the staycation in as one, but a vacation, leaving, you know, just going to a B&B, you know, going to the, a hotel that you've never been to before. Maybe something that, you know, feels kind of cool and hip and in a new part of town and nobody knows who you are and 
They don't care if you're screaming. <laughs> That's right. Screaming with pleasure. Let's put it that way. Screaming with pleasure. That's right. Right. So, um, so what I like to, to have a couple do is to write down what is the routine? Like what is, what is the usual way that they sexually connect? And then we look at all the places that we could change that up. And uh, so location is one of them. And that could be like literally different place in the house. Like you're speaking of, it could be a outside of the house. Um, I love starting the staycation as opposed to, because a lot of people do vacation sex and that isn't as much of an issue for them, but I want it to be something that's easier access to it. Um, and that can be getting a hotel room during your lunch hour. It could be that you do get a hotel room overnight or Airbnb or whatever those kinds of things are. It could be a place where you can stay and sleep or have an actual bed. It can be a different place in the house. As I said, so when the kids are away, if you have cameras and everyone has access to the cameras, you just want to be careful. I've put a lot of stories of, of college kids seeing what they didn't want to see um, because the parents forgot about that. Uh, I, I also then like looking at different times of day. So if you are used to doing it um, after dinner and before bed, then change that up. Do it before dinner. Uh, do it during lunch, try it in the morning. Or if you're a morning person, do it at different times and just see. And again, it's really about, in a fun way, collecting data instead of just trying to do everything differently. You're wanting to see like, so why is morning a routine for you? Is it because you all are so tired at night? Then don't try to do it at 11 o'clock at night. Um, try to do it at a different time during the day. Um, or if you're like always a weekend thing, see what it's like. What can you do to protect during it during the night? Uh, I was on the doctors once and I gave the tip about, um, having sex in the car in the driveway and the host almost choked. <laughs> so funny to see his react. He's like, in the driveway, in your car. I was like, sometimes that's all you can do. That's right. And, and kind of fun uh, and, and different. And again, you have to be careful, neighbors and all those kinds of things and, and ring camera doors, uh, they ring door cameras. But, but it is, start doing the why nots. Why not here? And, and see, and uh, see what feels fun because when you can get out of a routine, you're, you're causing different neuropathway connections. You are allowing just even little bits of dumps of dopamine that can help bring some fun and connection to things. It can help with some vibrancy. It can really help um, just bring a different kind of life to the connection. And most of all, what I, what I like about it is if you go about it with the attitude of fun and lightheartedness, it really doesn't matter when and where that's happening. Um, it, it's all about bringing some of that, that fun, different energy to it. And um, that makes a big difference. You know, I also liked the prioritizing non-sexual connection because that can also foster sexual connection. So mm -hmm. when you think about activities that you both enjoy doing could be that you know you started your romantic life together dancing mm -hmm. and that closeness can cause a rise no pun intended but <laughs> it can. and so perhaps you know dancing together is something that makes you feel good it makes you feel happy whether you're touching one another or you're dancing you know the way some of us did back in the days when you didn't need to have, you know, a, a connection. It's still music, you know, is good for the soul and it's also good for the body. And, you know, we see, each, we, we learn to move our bodies in ways that we also move them in sex. I always say, you know, sex 
and rock and roll kind of go together a little bit because you're shaking your body and moving it. And, you know, it's, that's sexy. That's very sexy. So that's one one way to do it. Uh, but there are lots of other ways in which you can enjoy that. So I like that non-sexual connection because again, it can, it's a build to that, you know, cl- climax. Again, I don't mean to use that in a sexual way, but right. Yeah, the crescendo yeah. of it. I agree. And it's so a question that I'd like to ask couples is like, when do you sit back and feel admiration for your person. Like, what is it? What is it that they're doing that you're like, gosh, like you're adorable, or you're so interesting, or and 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 I'm not asking when do they feel attracted, like an erection, or or, or feeling lubricated. I mean, like, when are you just sitting there and your soul is feeling connected to that person? And I'll say right after that go do something that's sexually connecting as well. Like anchor that feeling. I, I, I'm working with this one couple right now and they have the most beautiful intellectual debates about social justice issues. They they just had this wonderfully rich dialogue. And I was like, I think you all should go have sex after you all talk about that or or, or be sexual afterwards. And they're like, what are you talking about? I like, I'm just saying the, the connection that you all have um, really is something that you can, can experience moving into it. People will say that looking at them being a parent or cooking or doing a favor, like those kinds of things. Be active and it could be kissing, it could be hand holding. It doesn't have to be penetrative sex by any means. But but adding more of that into yourself and anchoring that feeling of admiration um, makes a very big difference in sexual connection and vibrancy and or connecting it literally to sexual connection on top of it. I'll give one little caveat. I work with a lot of people who are dating and we'll kind of, you know, come out of this, this exercise called the list that we look at their essence of, of who they want to date. And almost everyone adds the quality of, of being adored uh, that they want somebody who adores them. And that is so often that it goes missing in long-term relationships is really putting a lot of priority into the adoration of it. So when you can connect adoration to attraction to sexual connection, it's a very powerful trio. And we can feel adoration. You don't have to use the word, I the words, I adore you. You either feel it or you don't feel it. It's a touch. It's a glance. It's the way you smile, it's the way you touch the other person that really says, I adore you. You are my person, right? Um, you talk about people that glow when they're together. And I know that may sound kind of camping, but I've seen it. We have friends who are in their 80s and they glow when they are together. And they probably were just the same throughout their very long marriage, grown kids, grandkids, and so forth. It is so special to see that. So you just know, you just, you can see it. You don't need to say it. Agreed. Good point. And you talk about scheduling in sparks. Tell us more about schedule in sparks. I thought that was fascinating. Hmm. I, um, you know, a lot of people will ask about like, should we schedule sex? And that's, you know, a bit of a different topic. I think you have to, um, you have to schedule in the parts for yourself and as a couple that are going to feed the connection outside of sexual connection. 
and they're not good at like, so we talk about adoration being a part of it, but I'm also talking about activities and dance can be one of them as you, as you spoke about earlier, but, but I'm also talking about like prioritize anchoring the feeling of feeling uh, excited, having fun, laughing, um, risk-taking with your person so that you have like a cellular muscular memory with that person of this is, this is part of my vibrancy is the relationship and the spark with them. And with busy lives, with schedules that we all have, whether you have kids or don't have kids or work or don't work. It, I mean, it's just, it's just the rare person that doesn't describe himself as busy all the time. You have to, you have to prioritize it and put it into the schedule. And by scheduling it, it doesn't have to diminish the potency of the spark. It, it actually can create a sacredness around it. It also places less, less emphasis, at least my personal opinion, on the mechanics of it. When sometimes the body parts don't work as well as they did 20 or 30 years ago, so less emphasis on the mechanics of it and more so on building that connection with your person and feeding into that so that it all builds to that moment when you feel really special. You feel, to use your words, really safe because now you've, you know, you, you know, you are adored, you know, you are loved, you know, you are safe. You have the opportunity to have fun and to laugh and to giggle and to touch. And now the mechanical part of it, maybe it's, it, it becomes less pressure to perform and to be perfect because you love each other in your imperfection. You're perfectly imperfect and that's okay. So well said, Jerry. And, and, and your, your point is, is, is so important that you don't want, that's why I don't like using the word like scheduling sex, because first of all, that most people think that means penetrative sex. And, and there's just so much more that can be a part of sexual connecting than beyond that. But it also puts so much emphasis on, on performance, no matter what parts you're working with it, there's so much performance has to be a part of it. And, and, and that's unfortunate because then if, if however you define performance or whatever the performance means for, for the body parts that you're working with, if that doesn't happen, then, then it's experienced as a failure, which then you don't want to do that again, or no, you don't want the pressure for that. But if, if what you're scheduling is the spark or that you come up with your own word for what we're talking about is really just about connecting and prioritizing this, this, we are important to each other, not the schedules, not the kids, not the work or that kind of thing, but just you and I, just us having that. It could be talking, having an intimate, deep conversation. It could be a massage with each other. It could be penetrative sex. It could be a wild and crazy, you know, you know, just whatever kind of night, all of those things can happen. But what typically doesn't happen um, when you, um, when you aren't thinking of it in this way is by scheduling it, you can be responsible for take caring of this, taking care, taking care of the parts of you that can't bring your best self to the connection. So it's your responsibility. If you know tonight or this day is about spark day, spark night or whatever you're going to call it, then you are responsible for reducing your stress. You're responsible for getting sleep. Uh, the night before. You're responsible for putting aside anything that's going to distract you from the connection, whatever is happening. And scheduling allows for that. 
and if if you make it sacred that all is left outside of the doors of whatever it is that you're going to be doing with one another and this is one of the other tips that you include which is learn together so it feeds into learning together which is pretty expansive because learning together could be once you feel that comfort that safety that fun it makes you more amenable to experimenting a little bit with some of the things that you want to do differently which is you know you're doing it differently and maybe doing it differently means adding a toy, but you've already had that opportunity to kind of feel safe in the other aspects of your sexual connection. So maybe now toys are on the table and maybe doing it differently means trying something that you've read about, learned about together. And you're like, Hey, are you curious about this? Cause I'm kind of curious about it. Want to give it a try. And then maybe you giggle because you know what, which you thought you'd like didn't turn out to be so great, or maybe it turned out to be perfectly wonderful. Yes. And I love it being both. I like people researching on their own and, but I love there being like a research date night that you're like, let's try this. And together you go on the internet and, and you research sex toys, or let's say you've heard of this thing called Shibari, which is the, the art of tying ropes and, and silks. And like, what is that? Instead of that being a secretive thing that you do, you do it together and you can laugh at it or you can be like, oh, this is exciting. This is turning me on or like, oh my God, I didn't know that would bring up that site. Like any of those kinds of things can be, again, fun, lighthearted and bonding and you're learning more with all of this being the premise of we're doing this together, that we're in this together because we want to value and prioritize our sexual connection. And when that is the vibe, all that should be the vibe for all of the sex tips. And, and with researching, doing something fun, like we've said before, and like, like you were saying, like, it just has to be, we're just figuring it out if we like it or not. And let's just have fun with it. If, if uh, like I, I had a couple that was learning about learning about Shibari and they were trying to learn knots, neither of them could figure out to do it. They didn't know what they were doing. They, all the things that were so sexy on the internet, none of it. It was almost like the, those like do it yourself baking shows. You just didn't get it right in it. And instead of it being terrible or instead of wanting them feeling like they had to be the expert to show up and lead the, the couple in this new activity, they're both like, we don't know what we're doing and who cares. And if this knot doesn't do it, just pretend you can't move your arm. Like just, I can't figure it out. So just don't move it. And, and then we'll figure, you know, that kind of stuff can make it just lots of fun that we're in this together. And if things don't work like they used to, or they don't feel the same way as they used to, then we take that information to then change it for the next time. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really about embracing the changes as a way of feeling like let's adapt instead of let's look at the loss of it. And all of those kinds of tips that we've been talking about make a very big difference when you do it that way. When you look at let's let's change things and see, and let's do this together because we really value um, that we're the ones uh, of all the important relationships that we have. We're the ones that get to do this with each other, uh, and let's make it be something that's fun and wonderful for both of us. And this is great. These are great tips for anyone, whether you are in a long-term relationship or whether you are just embarking on the next phase of life, life we call it uh, sex 2.0. And, you know, great tips, you know, building these relationships, 
trying to figure things out in a different way, adjusting to some of the changes in your body can be good things. Maybe maybe what you didn't feel in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, now in your 50s, 60s, and 70s and beyond feels different, interesting, and good. And you know what? It's adventurous because you don't have, you're not trying to please, you know, anybody by being perfect. It's really okay to experiment, to make mistakes, to kind of chuckle about it. Just really finding that right person. So finding that right person who's willing to kind of do it with you and make you feel like it's safe and it's okay. And you're good. You adore that person, irrespective of whether you got it right the first, second, or third time, or didn't get it right at all. It's so it's it's so critical. But we we do know that sometimes, in spite of our best efforts, things just don't work. Right? They just don't work. They hurt. Um, they could hurt psychologically. They could hurt physically. They could hurt both psychologically and physically for any number of medical or other reasons. And then it is important to con consult a healthcare professional, whether it's a psychologist, psychiatrist, um, or someone else, some other specialist. Share that, share a little bit of your thoughts on that topic. Yeah. And I, I think too, this is a, a crucial part, again, no matter what age, but we're, we're, we're speaking of, of the menopause age of sexual wellness should if your partner should be a partnered experience too and and i you know i'm i'm really grateful that the the tone in a lot of places is is that promoting sexual wellness is um isn't as taboo but i still have found that the trickle down effect is that then couples don't know exactly where to get help or when to ask for help or feel shy and embarrassed um to to find a, to find resources to do that and what i would what i prefer is i'd love it to be well you know i would love it to be that everyone has an annual sexual wellness checkup that's what i would like and you go as a couple to do that and that would include like a, a sex therapist or a sex coach or um a pelvic floor therapist um gynecology or, or urology or gyno gyno urology like any of those any of those specialties that are working with our sexual wellness um, and I, I, in most circumstances, I recommend that a couple go together, no matter if it's just one person or, or not, because, uh, it is, you're both will be a part of the support to do things differently and can ask different questions. And, um, and I, I, I would just, I wish there was just no taboo, um, associated with it. And there was an ease of finding resources, um, for some communities, they don't have they don't have specialists that are available. Um, and luckily, we live in an era where you can do things virtually. And so I recommend people not being afraid of getting help um, through virtual support as well. Uh, it's not for everyone, but if you don't have it physically, it doesn't mean you can't get it in your community in a different kind of way. And again, it's about being flexible too in that resource and knowing you have a right to this and knowing that there are professionals that actually do care about your sexual wellness and your sexual life uh, and will work with you um, like, as if this is just as important as any other part of your health, uh, because uh, I think it is. Well, sexual health is health and sexual health goes a long way to improving our sleep, to improving our mood, to building relationships, to feeling good about yourself. So it is it is health and it shouldn't be a taboo topic. It should be a topic that is figures prominently in the conversation around health and wellness. And I know that that is emerging from the, those taboo topics, especially with special populations. And let's, you know, 
understand that as we age, the incidence and prevalence of certain diseases and disorders will increase. And if you are a person that is a survivor, um, either cancer, autoimmune disease, or something along those lines, and it's having an impact on your sexual health and wellness, it's really important to shed that light on how it is impacting your sexual health and wellness, because there are tips and tools that can be provided to help you to rebuild or to build that part, that important part of your life. So we want to we want to show a bit of grace to anyone that may be listening or viewing this that is part of that special population of survivors and thrivers because you have a right to sexual intimacy and sexual health and wellness. Absolutely well said. Juliana, Dr. Juliana Hauser, thank you so much for today's podcast on how to spice up sexual connection, heavy emphasis on connection through menopause. It's it's always a pleasure to have you join us on the Love Me Vita podcast. And for those that are listening in or viewing, we want to thank you. We want to have you remember to take good care of yourself and especially your sexual health and wellness, which is so important. Thank you so much. Once again, and remember to love Mia Vita. (music) 